Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Supported by thegeldedend.com. To browse and buy vintage lead shirts, player-signed prints, and classic memorabilia, go to thegeldedend.com. The Square Ball. By the fans, for the fans, since 1989. To buy the magazine, read the blog, and to download the podcast, visit thesquareball.net. A regular season's worth of pods just wasn't enough for the Square Ball. We're back for one more. And with everything settled in the Championship at last, we look back at all of Leeds United's ups and downs and round and rounds of 2010-2011. Hello, welcome to the Square Ball review of the 2010-2011 season. And I'm joined by the usual motley crew of characters, Michael Normanson. Hello. Moscow White. Hello there. And Oddie. Hello. Quick mention for our Squareball magazine, get on the website, you can get the digital download of issue 10 and all the back issues in digital form from this last season. Have a look there on the blog to go to thesquareball.net. And of course, don't forget to get in touch with us via Facebook and Twitter. Also, we'd love to hear from you over the summer and let's get on with it right away then. The season review, end of season, it finished on Bank Holiday Monday as uh, Swansea beat Reading. Should we spin back to August then and, and start at the start? <laughs> <laughs> See the pages flying off the calendar now. <laughs> my beard growing back into my face. <laughs> we were all so young then, so naive, so carefree. Hey, I think that Billy Painter will do well this season. <laughs> so the season started off. Well, was there any expectation? There wasn't really, but we went into the game televised on the BBC against Derby, starting the season a couple of hours later than everybody else. And it was unpleasant watching, really, wasn't it, when you consider that... Because Robbie Savage was playing. Yeah, we got a little bit of a lesson in midfield from him. And Hulse looked quite good as well. Yeah, it was kind of a reminder of what had been around when we used to be in the Championship. Hulse was a good player. and Was Chris Cummins still at Derby at that point? He was, and so... Yeah, and then there wasn't, perhaps maybe there wasn't much expectation from Leeds fans, but the BBC was certainly, right, Leeds are back, stick them on the telly straight away, it doesn't matter who they're playing, we'll have that. And um, so, was it a sellout crowd? It was a big crowd. Not sellout. No, I think it was actually, I think it was no. slightly underwhelming, it was about 25,000. <clears> That's still bigger than the League One. This is true, except our average coming up was about 26, 27,000. So. Fuck. <laughs> Derby didn't bring many. No. For an opening day fixture, which was pretty poor. It was a weird one because it didn't actually, because we lost, but we played reasonably well. Nobody seemed that arsed at that point. It was like, oh, we'll take a, we'll take a defeat to Derby. They'll probably be among the promotion contenders. I think that was the thing at the time. It's always the same at the start of every season, but particularly for us coming from a new, coming into a new league, you'd 
don't quite know where to set everyone. And so it was a narrow defeat. Didn't seem necessarily that bad because for all we knew, Derby were one of the best teams in the league. We'd had a bit of a bollocksy pre-season as well with Snodgrass being crippled in Norway and Painter being hobbled in Slovakia and um, Lubo still being at the club. <laughs> so we were waiting for uh, the team to sort of form itself. Well, you can take the, the 4-0 routine win against Lincoln in the League Cup that followed. Take that one out of the equation. It was, it was fairly nailed on certainty, wasn't it? Then we, we went on to Nottingham Forest the week after. Fight! On the telly. Fight! That was when they didn't let us into Hooters. It was. If you cast your mind And also when I uh, attempted to walk three and a half miles home from a train station that wasn't very near my house. That wasn't Nottingham, that was... No, <laughs> no, no. Back in Yorkshire, yeah. Yeah, we were on the telly that, that first half. We took something of a pasting, didn't we, if you, if you recall. And I seem to remember thinking at half-time, this is going to be a long season and we, we could be in for a bit of a struggle. But it all turned round in the second half. I remember texting Michael to see if you could be ejected from the stadium because you were clearly jinxing it. Well, only a game and a half into the season. <laughs> well, exactly. I was like, well, something has to be done now. I know it was entirely irrational, but I think you're right in that the at, half time, <laughs> at half time, you did start thinking, oh, shit, we might go down here. And even though it's ridiculously early, we'd not shown anything in the first game and a half to suggest we were any good. And it was quite a relief when the second half came and all of a sudden we actually looked uh, like we could string a few passes together. Was that when, did we change the formation at halftime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that when the four-five-one reared its head? Or did we go back to four-four-two? I'm sure we went back to four-four-two, and everyone started looking like they knew what they were doing. Sanchez Watt, in particular, I recall, looked, uh, looked quite handy in that game. Well, when he was nearly beating up... Um, oh, Gunter, wasn't it's it? It's a shame Gunter. we don't know any of the players' names. <laughs> yeah, Gun- it was Watt versus Gunter. With the, uh, the, uh, Gunter stamped on Watt's foot, so Watt stood on his foot and then... Richard Naylor piled in. And- yeah. Good times. And good first, times. first started flying, as we like, yeah. And United are back. Yeah. I think we got to the full time in that game, there was particularly a sense of, actually, we might be all right in this division. We've shown something this second half that we've got the capability of, of competing. I think that first half we were worried that we were in danger of being overrun in most games. What I'll always remember this game for is uh, Adam Clayton coming on as substitute and looking like he'd never seen a football before. Yeah. So it was a spectacular 10-minute <laughs> appearance when he just... The ball just pinked off him for throw-ins and children were crying and mothers were dying just because it was like nobody had ever seen before. Well, the next run of games were interesting, contrasting fortunes. We still didn't have a three o'clock kickoff until the end of the month against Watford away, but the games that preceded that, straight after Forest, we had Millwall at home. It was really nice to sort of put our our stamp on that one and we beat them quite convincingly that game. That was our best performance for a couple of seasons at the time because it was 3-1 in the end, but it could easily have been four or five by the time Sommer came on, who then obviously finished it off for us. And they were top of the league at that time as well. The cocky sods. <laughs> no business. <laughs> and it was Millwall who we've, I mean, there couldn't have been more of a contrast to the uh, the game at the back end of the previous season where Kisnobber went off injured and it was all doom and gloom and we appeared to have blown everything. Dickov was playing. Oh God. <sighs> but yeah, yeah, we swapped uh, Dickov for Sommer and that was, um, yeah, I loved his goal in that one. I, for some reason, there was a massive gap in the top corner of the goal and he just wellied the ball straight into it. And it was like, yes, I, I like that kind of style of thing. Do it again. Well, then we move on to perennial bogey side, Leicester in the League Cup um, to follow up that Lincoln win. We, we played them at home. A little bit unlucky to lose this, weren't we, if I recall correctly? It's a couple of stupid Neil Collins errors, I seem to remember. Um, but it was a Tuesday night, which as we were to learn... 
was not going to be the <laughs> finest of days for us this season. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning of the creakiness at the back, wasn't it? When Because we'd not been troubled too much. I mean, Forrest were better than us all over the pitch in the first half. Millwall and Lincoln we got rid of fairly easily. Derby we thought were just better. And then Leicester, it's like, well, why did we just throw that game away? It's like quite fancied being in the League Cup for a while. And then on to the 28th of uh, of August, that was the first Saturday three o'clock kickoff, which was the Watford away game. And actually this, as the season panned out, turned out to be a very, very good, solid win. It's very unusual. Clean sheet. Clean sheet, <laughs> away from home, unheard of, more or less. Vicarage Road with uh, the high priest Ellen John. So if we take that solid win and then you look ahead to the next game, which was a couple of weeks after that, I think there must have been the international break at that point. And uh, Saturday, September the 11th at Ellen Road. And this, on reflection, turned out to be a great win. Swansea at home and we won 2-1. I think that game did flatter us a little bit though. Yeah. I don't think we were worthy winners. I think they were were a good side and I think we were lucky to beat them in the end. I remember vaguely panicking every time Sinclair picked up the ball, thinking he's probably going to rip through Bassoni or something but very much wouldn't have been the only one Bassoni was still playing at this yeah. point yeah yeah we were still working him out with he'll, he'll come good a couple more games Bassoni will be fine yeah just and one then... game later <laughs> he was dead well there was an element of that we had quite a few new faces in the team so we're going to have to find our feet in this league and probably find a level yeah this was the point before Snodgrass had come back as That's well right, yeah. it was um, we were sort of there was that feeling of making do um, in a way although Lloyd Sang was uh, had a really good start of the season, and, uh, and we weren't necessarily missing Snodgrass, but it was kind of we had no grade leader for the for the start, obviously because of his uh, suspension from the previous year. Yeah, because he, he then had to sort of start working his way back in from from zero to uh, hero. I was going to say to at least just not getting sent off every time he came in from zero to not Candol <laughs> was his first baby steps. Well, yeah, as we just mentioned then, um, after the Swansea game, just as we thought everything was going all right, we entered a run of three games against South Yorkshire opposition. We had uh, Barnsley on the Tuesday night, followed by Donny on the Friday, uh, both away from home, and then the Sheffield United game at home. So first of those three, a game that very much characterised our failings this season and an absolute horror show. I'll say the score, even though it's going to hurt me to do it. Barnsley 5, Leeds United 2. Did we come in and do the podcast the next day? And I remember people asking me, could you keep it a bit more cheerful? <laughs> Did you not go to Barnsley? <laughs> this was an odd run of games because it appeared that we'd hit rock bottom with Barnsley, then we'd we'd come back and we'd... Solid performance against Donny, wasn't it? Yeah, ground out a nil-nil, could have probably won it against Donny, beat Sheffield United at home, we thought, all right, we're back on track. Sheffield United was a great performance, actually. Although great. we didn't realise quite at that stage just no. how crap they were going to turn out to be. <laughs> After those two results came Preston, and all of a sudden it was back to the Barnsley performance again. To do two games like that in four, and it wasn't it wasn't just the the size of the goals we were given, the numbers of goals we were given 17 away. Seventeen goals in two games, <laughs> it four was, against. It was it was that we were letting the other team score in like gulps of goals. It wasn't just like we'd let a goal in, we'd let three in, and then just yeah. have to turn around. And we got ahead at Barnsley, and then we were, yeah, everything <laughs> looked fine, and then suddenly it was it was. Just so 7,000 plus Leeds fans that made the short trip to fill one and a half stands. Well, yeah, when, when we went in front, I thought, brilliant, but we're, this is yeah, it. we're on it now. And then, oh, God. But it, it, it was just it, too easy. They were just it, cutting through. It was the proverbial hot knife through butter, wasn't it? Every yeah. time. And it was, through lard. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, Adam Hamill uh, caused us all sorts of problems. Obviously, he went on to get his Premier League move later in the season. I remember him 
frightening me quite a lot with pace. But then again, it's been a problem at Leeds for a long time, hasn't it? Pace scares us. No, but Naylor was quite frightening with pace in that game as well because he didn't have any. Uh, but you look. I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, we did mention in the podcast, yeah. Um, a little bit earlier on this season about when you look at who the back five was that night and if I recall it was Higgs was in goal wasn't he because Casper was out that night handsome man just, just kept the ball out with his good looks along handsome Higgs left back was Bassoni Naylor was in the side Collins was in the side I think was Connolly the only player who still featured towards the end of the season out of that back five Naylor had his brief return didn't he towards the end and uh, and sort of undid a lot of the damage but um, Bassoni Half time was uh, they sent him out for the second half, didn't they? But then he went, yeah. he limped off with a head injury. He was pretending <laughs> to be injured, was what I remember Grayson yeah. had implied because I was, um, and he'd sent him back out to teach me a lesson. <laughs> I was listening on Yorkshire Radio, and Eddie Gray was um, laughing out loud at him. Just couldn't believe what he was seeing. Just need to hook him. Although worth mentioning that most of the goals were conceded with uh, Andy Hughes at left back, so can't entirely blame him. Well, yeah, but that's presupposes that we wouldn't have conceded those goals if Personi was playing. And I'm sure we probably we probably would have conceded, we probably would have given Barnsley two for every one if uh, Personi had still been yeah, on the pitch. They scored just before half-time and I think not long after into the second half, which was another pattern that formed through the season. It's worth watching the uh, clip of it on YouTube as well to watch Richard Naylor tracking the imaginary runner <laughs> on one of the uh, on one of the goals. He, he seems to run entirely out of the way of uh, of the oncoming attacker. There's, the imaginary runner is brilliant, and there's also I wasn't one of the goals where he just he basically just lay down as the, <laughs> as the midfielder ran through. He just realised he wasn't going to get near. Just, just lay down as if he was going. Oh, I, I sleep now. So I'll spin ahead to that Preston game. Um, <laughs> it was worse. He was a very fat man who scored all those goals. I can take it if it's a, some slim, lithe young athlete, but it was a pie man parking. It was a, you know, it was an articulated truck just <laughs> driving straight through the. Well, you did a, wonder, a didn't truck you? Truck full of looking back uh, chips. A, from the end of the season, you did wonder if that result would ultimately cost us from being in a four-one winning position. And when you actually look at the points tally at the end of the season, of course you can identify lots of areas where it went wrong, but. That particular game, out of all of them, stands out head and shoulders above the rest from being four-one up. You don't lose six-four. You don't. No one loses six-four. No, it's, it's a Sunday league score. I remember Grayson getting some um, flack for sounding a bit clueless in the uh, in the aftermath of this game. People saying he doesn't even know how to sort it out. It's like, well, his team just scored four. They should have won, and that was kind of his point of view as well. We scored four. I don't know what the hell happened to let them have six. Hold hands up. Say fair enough. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> It was just like a Sunday league game where you could look at pretty much every goal and it wasn't through some brilliant Barcelona-esque carving open a defence play. It was just hoof, mistake, goal, hoof, mm. mistake, goal. The one that Alex Bruce scored was particularly good where one of their players stopped the ball going out of play to nod it back across his own box and uh, and allow Bruce to score. And that set the tone really for the... And then the smallest man on the pitch got a header. Yeah, it was just uh, a horrendous night at the office. Yeah, and coming Memorable. so... Well, good value. I mean, whoever that's probably the best value ticket all season. Ten goals. What, what's that, about three quid a goal? That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, But at least there wasn't a... Um, did Preston release a DVD of that? Because, of course, Barnsley, within 24 hours, had... DVDs and commemorative T-shirts and mugs and anything that could stick 5-2 on that were selling it in the club shop. You haven't got DVDs in Preston yet. Ah, fair enough. Beat max. Well, we look at the uh, the Ipswich game that followed at the start of uh, October and that was um, a time when we were starting to really worry that the wheels had come off badly because we went down there. They were riding quite high at the time, I remember. We weren't expected to get much and we didn't. We ended up losing that 1-2-1. There was some relief that we hadn't conceded six again. But beyond that, it wasn't... The- 
result we were looking for. It was with 10 men as well. So I think having conceded six with 11, I think we thought, oh, <laughs> headed in the right direction. <laughs> it's almost like a win. <laughs> and then we got the win at Middlesbrough, which was, um, that was a good performance. And Andy, Andy really Fye playing necessary. in the deep holding role in midfield. Of course, because Andy Fye was going to solve all the problems, wasn't Once he? Once he gets fit. All we said was, we just need somebody to sit in there. Was like, he that bad? He was just that old. He's he was slow. Out. He was very, very slow. If we, you know, it was the right player, but the wrong age. If we'd managed to get a 30-year-old Andy Fye, I'm sure it would have been... The Ian Rush really problem. Different. Yes. But against one of the season's hot favourites, again, with Middlesbrough, obviously they'd, they'd had a bad start, but to go up there and turn them over, again, live on the telly. And Becky has scored a hot goal. Oh, one of the season's goal, yeah. hot goals. <laughs> and we, we actually looked all right and you thought, yeah, you know what, we've been out of form, we're back on it now, we're fine. I'd we're like right. to meditate for a while on Becky has hot goal. It was rather good, wasn't it? He spanked it. Yeah, and he did perf- I love it when he just had that perfect, I'm volleying this shape. And uh, it was the night also of his. Of the fir- was it the first time we heard him speak? Fucking yeah. unbelievable! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a fantastic. But it, it was uh, just in enough patois to sneak through the sky radar, uh, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, fucking unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks, Luciana. Exactly, Lucy. Exactly. Top my night off. And then back to the bad old days. I'm getting bored of Leicester City. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling when we speak about the teams that to watch next season that they're going to be one of them, unfortunately. But yeah, we, we returned back to Ellen Road another Tuesday night. And this is where I think I'd given my season ticket over to someone else to sit in my seat. And I went and bought a match ticket for this and ended up in the East Stand Central. I had, that's when I had a rush of blood to the head and decided to treat myself to a, a, an East Stand Central ticket rather than going... Uh, Oh, posh. Yes, rather than going in like the South Stand or, you know, I think there were only like a few front front rows available. You know what? I'm going to spend that extra six quid or whatever it is. I'm going to sit East Stand Central. Or it'll be a festival of football. Yeah. There are those nights when you just want to sit on sit at the side and analyse. Work tomorrow so I won't drink. I'll just watch the game. That maybe, game. <laughs> maybe take a notepad. That game, it had a feeling of a reserve match or a League Cup tie because there were few people inside Ellen Road Atmosphere was awful, team was dreadful, and we lost 2-1. That was when Sven had just taken over as well, wasn't it? It was. And I was kind of praying he'd fail miserably, but he did, did all right in the end. Although he did spend a lot of money. He should have done better for the money he spent, really, when you've got... Mind you, he's, he's having to uh, prop up 48-year-old Yakubu. <laughs> and then it went from bad to worse, uh, another televised performance. We were fearing the worst for the Monday night game against Cardiff on Sky. And I guess this is the, the match that you'd bookend this particular part of the season with, wasn't it? Uh, something of a watershed after this, we started to, to build and move on. But Cardiff, 4-0. The thing with the Cardiff game is we knew that was coming. I don't think anybody went into that game thinking, yeah, we're going to win tonight. It was just a matter of how many will we lose by. And um, predictably, 4-0. Bellamy wasn't quite as good as people thought he, he was he's gonna, As he thinks he is, or people expect him to be. But it turned out that they had other really good players as well. We were down sixteenth uh, and looking down. It was worrying because having got spanking off Cardiff and uh, also managed to concede goals to rubbish like Preston and Barnsley, it did appear we were quite capable of losing every single game. <laughs> yeah, because the, the clean sheet seemed entirely random. We didn't know what was going right some weeks, just as we didn't know what was going wrong other weeks, other than the defence was crap. That was about as detailed as an as analysis could get because it was that bad. Yeah, this was little running games where we were trying 4-4-2, weren't we? And Sommer was getting a lot of time. And um, and it just, well, Sommer was chipping in with goals. There was really nothing else happening. Nobody else was doing whatever it was that they may have 
or may not have been told to do. It was just impossible to tell. And then, um, yeah, losing by four clear goals, just like, yeah, no surprise. But of course, there was a change coming. So the Scunthorpe game gave us an opportunity to get right back on track and we took it with both hands. They were struggling. We beat them 4-1. Johnny Howson bagged himself a hat-trick and a little bit by accident we stumbled across this 4-5-1 formation that seemed to be successful for us for a portion of the season. This is the game when we uh, we decided if we could accommodate Zinedine Zidane in our team then we might have a chance for the rest of the season. Is um, the late-breaking Howson. All he needs to do is shave most of his head Slightly monkish, keep a bit at the front, and um, they were indistinguishable. It's worth mentioning until half time at this game, we were looked like the same team that had uh, got a hammer in the previous week, and most people in the away end were a little bit upset until uh, Houston managed to turn it on in the second half. Well, weren't all his goals just like breaking from midfield? It was the, the perfect old... hat trick, wasn't it? This one, where it was, he... of course, yeah, it was. It was. left foot, right foot header. I forgot, I guess, um, my favourite one was just coming from the edge of the D. Top corner. He did that a few times this season, and I liked it every time he did it. I will always be grateful to uh, to Scunthorpe for being around, although they ended up um, going down. Andy Hughes and Nunes couldn't save them. They were always there when we needed to hammer somebody, and um, and for that, you know, we would get ourselves into a bit of a rut. Scunthorpe would come along, we'd batter four past them, and feel a lot better about ourselves. So, cheers, to the Iron. Get promoted. We need you. <laughs> And on to uh, the first game of November on Saturday the 6th. Your Bête Noire, Moscow, we, we went down to uh, to Coventry, beaten 3-2. Again, very characteristic of the season as a whole, scoring three but conceding two. Another good, solid win. Notice McSheffrey didn't score. In fact, this was the period when he was moaning about um, Grayson's poor man management, even though McSheffrey was being managed by an entirely different manager at this point, who he's since managed to get sacked. And he's been moaning McSheffrey again in close season, has managed to come out with, um, he said his his goal scoring this season was not what he wanted, but that was because A.D. Boothroyd was asking him to defend. And he said, I'm probably uh, the league's worst defender, um, but as soon as they stopped having me try to work for the team, I started playing much better again. And it's not really relevant to our season review as we are in, in uh, looking at November, but I still hate this wanker. <laughs> On to Hull then. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you just actually... Oh, go... can we mention the Snowgrass goal? Because he oh, yeah, scored definitely. a yeah, super good... goal from uh, Coventry. Well, he curled it right round, yeah. uh, sort of wide of the post and then back in again, wasn't it? Yeah. So we doff our cap to you momentarily, Bob Snodgrass. Um, I was going to say, if you look back to the Scunthorpe game and then you go through November, and it takes in the draw with Hull City, which we'll come on to in a minute, but then Bristol at home, Bristol City, good solid 3-1 win. Norwich away, solid one all. Nor- uh, Reading away, nil-nil. We were looking in pretty decent shape at this point. Worth mentioning as well that the Scunthorpe game saw the arrival of Andy O'Brien, who, although he did get probably steadily worse throughout the season, at least initially, seems to have provided a bit of backbone to the defence. He got worse once he signed his three-year contract. <laughs> yeah, he had that nailer effect of somebody turning up and knew what they were doing. And yeah, it showed in the results that we suddenly started, seeming like a reasonable impression of a football team again. The 2-2 against Hull then, we should have won that really, shouldn't we? I mean, we were, we were the superior side on the night, but was Tuesday night, we, good, don't, we don't win Tuesday nights, do we? Was that another good Snodgrass goal? Was that his free kick or was that away? That was the away, away match. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a Johnson own goal, this one. Of course it was, yeah. Bradley, yeah. yeah. And Ian Ashby tried to break Luciano Becchio's right, yeah. face. Yeah. That heartbreaking um, video Pitch. that uh, Leeds United put together with, the, the, with all the injustices of um, Jermaine Beckford being sent off for something else, admittedly. 
playing for us at the time. So this is how we 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 elbow players and we get punished. <laughs> Not the best defense in the world, but poor old Luciano. So should have won that one, and then you can look at the Bristol home game, convincing win, three one. Pleased with that? Almost convincing. We were struggling a little bit halfway through, but it's the sort of game that you look at when the fixtures come out and think we'll win that. Yeah. Especially when they sort of collapsed very early on because they looked like contenders when they had Steve Koppel, but when he did his usual thing of just sort of waking up in the middle of the night and having a sudden realisation, getting the hell out of there and dropping David James right in it. And David James throwing a paddy and we scored the second or third goal and he booted the ball almost over the West End. He wasn't a happy boy. He was aiming for the East. But. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, two away games here then. Uh, you'd, you'd have taken draws out of either of those, as I mentioned. Norwich away, 1-1. Again, they were a, a difficult side for us to face the previous season, so it felt like we'd sort of made some ground upon them. Should have been a win as well, because Casper was pushed over for their goal. Yeah, yeah you, I'm still angry about that. You can't score goals like that. It's not the 1930s anymore. <laughs> Jack Charlton <laughs> used to do it all the time. You had to shove the goalkeeper in the goal, and then while well, he's on his back like a tortoise, just roll the ball past him. They won promotion by cheating. Was that no, not an indication of what was to come with Schmeichel, though? That he wasn't quite that convincing. I know it was a clear push. He but... spent most of his time on his back crying. So then we move on to Reading again, nil nil. I guess we were welcoming a nil nil almost at that point because we'd seen the uh, the shortcomings <laughs> of the defence previously. So that was a decent one. Not too much to say about that, other than Ian Hart didn't score and we were all pleased. Back home again, again you would probably expect to win. Start of December, Crystal Palace at home. And we beat them 2-1. The notable thing about the Crystal Palace game is it was the uh, the first occasion that Ken Bates mentioned us in his programme notes. A proud day, one they'll always forget. Not negated by the fact that he dragged up the same story again three months later, but I thought it was nice. Nice to be recognised by the uh, evil old scrot. And then uh, a game... Alleged evil old scrot. <laughs> and then a game that was definitely one of my personal highlights, if not the highlight of the season... Uh, the Burnley match away, when they were singing to us at 2-0 up, you should have gone Christmas shopping, only for us to turn it back round onto them, stick three past them in the second half. And we had a good afternoon that afternoon, didn't we, Michael? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Burnley and Palace were both good, because we it, we had to really grind out the wins, and at, at that point it seemed we were developing as a team into some that we would actually be in control of our own destiny, rather than just kind of going, oh shit, they've scored loads of goals, which... Was the, the shrugging of shoulders that seemed to be going on earlier in the season. This was Halston in his pomp at this stage as well, because mm. um, the Burnley winner was another one of his arriving late, just popping it into the bottom corner. Although I, still, I still don't know quite how that went in. It wasn't quite the bottom corner, it was more or less the middle of the net, but the keepers <laughs> bobbled and sort of missed it. It's, it is worth saying as well, when you look at the two goals that we conceded at Burnley, particularly the one that bounced over Alex Bruce's head, and you kind of had that feeling, you saw it unfold and you thought, He's probably going to mess this up. Ah, yeah, he has, yeah, because he kicked the air shot, if you remember, trying to clear the ball, fell on his backside, then whoever it was went in and, and tucked it away, and you thought, oh, here we go again. But, you know, they're forgotten, aren't you, when you score three and one of them's a late winner. But this turning form was, uh, I think, uh, Snodgrass. And his, um, yeah, Bob his, was back, wasn't he? Yeah. He was, yeah. He'd been back for a few games, but he was starting to turn it on. Gradle was starting to, uh, starting to look... Like the player he, he used to be off the bench but for a full game. Yeah. It was actually very dangerous when we had the ball. Very scary when we didn't have the ball, but nonetheless, going forward, we did well. Gradle's goal in the next game against QPR. It's fantastic. Yeah. That one we ran from the halfway line and then jinked in. And it's worth pausing for thought on this QPR game, just because it's a really good two-nil win against the team that won that division pretty much at a canter in the end by cheating. Yes, by cheating. 
But what a great victory, and it was a convincing victory and a fully deserved victory at that. That and Norwich at home were probably my two most enjoyable games of the season. The QPR one, because we won it, and QPR were already... It was a bit like the build-up to the Cardiff game where you thought this team was so far ahead of Leeds United that it could be embarrassing, but we were brilliant from start to finish in that game. And something about the atmosphere that day as well, Ellen Road was a bit of a... Bit of a pre-Christmas vibe. Everybody was that uh, last Saturday game before Christmas is always good at Ellen Road, isn't it? Especially so. when you're beating the league leaders two <laughs> 0 and Max Gradle's running from the halfway line and taking on the defence on his own. Um, it was just a fantastic day that one. And then we went into a sequence of three draws, yeah, annoyingly that's, so. That's why Leeds United fans celebrate the last game before Christmas so much because it's Christmas the last time comes, we're good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it all changes. Yeah, the Christmas watershed and Boxing Day, Leicester away. Were we 2 0 up in this game? Yeah, we were. We, were. we don't we sh- beat Leicester at Should Leicester. have won easily. Vividly, we don't beat Leicester yeah. anywhere, in fact, do we? No. Come to think of it, not just in Leicester. And again, Portsmouth uh, on the Tuesday between Christmas and New Year, and it just never quite went as we wanted it to. That one did it. I mean, we should have won it. That was done with the extremely dubious refereeing performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. David Webb, wasn't it? Remains the only referee to have a podcast named after him. I'm sure there'll be others. <laughs> well, Leeds podcast for that. Yeah. For that a dreadful performance. He ruled out the McCormack goal, didn't he? That was, that... I can't even remember what he did anymore, <laughs> but I'm still cross with him. Yeah, to be fair to you, David Webb, Sommer also ruled out a McCormack goal in this game. Was it this game when he dived in front of it to stop That's him? Right, or was yeah. it, did, he, did it McCormack or Painter that he stopped from scoring? Both of them. But certainly Sommer had, uh, Sommer had started to slip out of the team since he went 4-5-1. And, uh, and when he did get a chance again, it seemed that he was just intent on messing it up for his striking rivals. And into... Painter didn't need much help, though. And into 2011, um, we started the season off against Middlesbrough. And I guess we kind of suffered from that. Oh, we've beaten them away, so hopefully we should beat them at home because they're struggling a bit. And it wasn't quite how it panned out. You suffered. Yeah, I, you were I had an the walking absolutely dead. horrendous <laughs> hangover that day. But uh, yeah, I met you in Billy's, didn't I? Yeah. I was there in body, but not in mind. Yeah, just a day of self-loathing, really. I think that one. But yeah, Happy was, New Year. Yeah, that was that was the late equaliser. That was when, when Ross McCormack had his diving header, wasn't it? And he, yeah, he, he just yeah. took it in the net. Yeah, he had he did, he did some weird kind of jump and twist. He had, thing. he had too much time to think about where he was going to put that ball. He thought, I'm just going to pop that in the opposite corner, just past the keeper's hand. And by that time, it had gone out for a dead ball. But too much time and not enough brains. Yeah, so one all there. So that was the sequence of three draws. Again, then we're going down to Cardiff. We didn't expect anything from this game, did we really? And, I, and there was the added spice of the fact that we just signed um, Andy O'Brien in the transfer window, hadn't we, at this point, permanently? Yes, nicked him from, from Cardiff. So it was always yes. going to be a case that they had something to prove against him. Take note, Cardiff. Ken Bates, School of Negotiations, slag off your potential player's dad to his face. Works every time. Works like a charm. Say what you like about Ken Bates, but he's a very insulting businessman. <laughs> And then, of course, the big one that had been on the horizon in the football calendar. Of course, we've been drawn at Arsenal in the FA Cup. Back on the telly yet again. One of, I think it was 13 times we were on the telly last season. That's not too bad. Again, a nearly, nearly a repeat of January the 3rd. Nearly. It was the 8th for a start, so not quite a repeat. Well, yeah. It was late. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, the late penalty from Fabregas, I think even then you thought, oh, that's them going to win the replay now. But we were close. We suddenly, after... Having struggled against the likes of Barnsley and Preston and Coventry and Hull, we found we had the most watertight defence in all four divisions and were just 
like Bruce was a hero in this game, wasn't he? He's like diving in front of everything that, um, admittedly, it's probably only Bentner, but he we looked solid and uh, amazing. And Ben Parker was uh, resurrected, and uh, they rolled the stone away and dragged his body to left back. <laughs> he, did, he did give away a penalty. He's, well, the so he's got Theo, you come back from an injury where he'd been out for about ten years, and then Theo Walcott's bearing down on you. Yeah. Like, Why did you do this to me? Put me back in against Scunthorpe, not Arsenal. <laughs> they, they were quite wasteful right. as well. As you mentioned, they have Benton up front and. Ashavin missed Ash quite Arvin. a number of chances. Yeah. Yeah. They were fairly wasteful, but I think yeah. you know it was it was that backs to the wall performance, and we, something to take a lot of pride in. I think. Yeah, if we played like that against it a team that wasn't wasteful, we probably would have got a better result. You know, if we had that performance in some of the um, ridiculous Preston and Barnsley games, we may not have let them have That's six. The thing. We can slag off Bentner, but he's still a Premiership footballer and a, a Denmark international, and John Parkin managed to score four against us. And he got none. However, Bentner does go out with a princess, I believe. As good as this um, Arsenal game was, in many ways, does that add a degree of annoyance about the way the rest of the season went? in light of what you just said about the games where we were shipping goals for fun. We looked so solid, so up for it. And yet... Let's throw in a cliche, though. Magic of the cup. I was about to say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. the magic, of course, yeah. We're always up for it. especially. And you knew as soon as we were up against Arsenal, it's like, because we, we're Leeds United and we still think we should be challenging Arsenal for the title now. Um, when we do get to play them, it's like, right, we'll beat these, get them, get them, get them done like we did scum last year, um, and then we'll, we'll worry about playing Portsmouth another time it's not important right now until well, Arsenal spank you 3-1 in the replay was it 3 or was it I'm sure it was 4 wasn't it it was 3-1 but at that point four. we'd already knew we'd have got uh, Huddersfield in the next round yeah which sort of we didn't took want the that. edge off yeah. it a little bit and we, we had that whole take your eye off the ball thing because you're in the cup and we, we yeah. as we mentioned on the podcast at the time it's not necessarily a bad thing to go out at that stage and as well to get him back to Ellen Road it was like another draw against a big team because we got to play him <laughs> twice yeah. and we got um, Bradley Johnson's uh, the highlight of his career happened that night yes yeah. the, the magic that will never be repeated and let's be fair the slow motion replays of that will live long on uh, the big screens at Ellen Road before every game we'll be saying he hasn't scored any of them for Stoke yet has he <laughs> and sandwiched in between those two Arsenal games as you mentioned Moscow the routine four past Scunthorpe which was, Scunthorpe. It was if we needed a game uh, between two distracting Arsenal Cup games, Scunthorpe at home was it. Of course, the downside of playing Scunthorpe at that time was that it also then ripped the heart out of our football club. Because they poached Andy Hughes, didn't they? They took, they took Hughesy home with them. Come back, Hughesy. We still we love you. We miss you. We still want to be your friend. And it was back to the league after the, uh, the Arsenal defeat. Um, Portsmouth away. Again, you, you maybe fancied us in this because... Although they've got a decent first eleven, they had no squad. And they've got no electricity. And the lights went off lots of times. Yeah, when you're going straight from the Emirates Stadium with its uh, leather-lined seats and its uh, couscous being served on the thighs of virgins in the half-time bars and you go to Portsmouth and there's no lights. Um, it's a reminder of where you are. Well, I'm not in Portsmouth. and uh, <laughs> I don't consider myself to be in Portsmouth, either metaphorically or any other way I'm better than that and you know it (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that there's probably a joke about hello sailor there but I won't do it and again this sort of coming to the end of January the feeling around the club at that time was one of not uncertainty but still not able to fathom out exactly how this season was going to go because we'd had that lovely run of form up to Christmas and then it all started to go a bit wobbly because we drew too many games and Arsenal distracted us and that whole game that followed the Portsmouth game another game on the road of course um, that first half in that again Back to our very worst, just not tracking, not marking. I seem to remember they 
two down. Missed more or less an open goal within about the first 25 seconds. And Casper did that tip over, didn't he, if you remember? Yeah, Casper had a brilliant game that day, actually, in the, in the first half. He kept us in it. And this was when Snodgrass had his uh, golf-chipped free kick. But what I think did for us at this period was transfer window, because we were in with a shout of promotion at this point, and we go into it. We went into January, top four at least. And I was thinking, if we just signed somebody, we could go up. And then as the month ticked by, we're saying, well, why aren't we signing anybody? And, you know, knocking on the door, sign somebody. And just the same 11 players turning out every week. We say, where's the midfielder? Buy one. And it wasn't coming. And then, and then of when, course, they the, the tried out the familiar, well, we'll wait till the loan window. Well, exactly, yeah. We, February the 1st, as soon as the uh, transfer window closed, we'll look at the loan. We might get a loan player. And then everyone's like, right, where's the loan player? Well, we won't bring him in now. Because we'll of the 93 days? Yeah, we'll get someone so that they can still be around for the playoffs. Yeah. And then, can you imagine Bates and Grayson hanging around the reduced to clear bit in the supermarket? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, see what, I'll see what turns up in here. Yeah. She's coming down with the trolley in a minute. I can it's, see them just putting the stickers on. It's 3.30 on a Sunday afternoon and you're just waiting for the, the loom the stickers to come out that's me- what it is in the meantime you've got your girlfriend in the car outside and she's expecting a beef wellington fresh <laughs> but it just never came and so there started to become that sort of that atmosphere around the place of some it people saying wasn't it, yeah, say, why don't we just buy somebody and we'll, we'll go for it we'll, and we'll be there and other people saying well we don't want to you know buying won't guarantee success Let's of course it doesn't it is but, worth saying that that bringing in that central midfielder wouldn't have guaranteed anything but it was about maximising opportunity wasn't it and we didn't do that yeah and nobody and nobody could quite decide whether it's whether we it wasn't clear whether we were going for it or not it there was no at no point there was no clear message was there saying yes this is our t- we're going to go for promotion now. yeah it was always just we'll see what happens you know we're just Neil Kilkenny's coming back from um, Australia for, no it was Dubai when he was playing wasn't he he's coming back from that tournament it just it never really became it was a bit sketchy all of it wasn't it very sketchy so that took us not into in February not in the Gary Glitter sense just in the unclear sense so that took us into February did the whole match but again we restored a bit more confidence and we thought oh actually you know we might be alright as we are Coventry game at home 1-0 McSheffrey up yours crying about being booed yes and then we went down to Bristol and beat them quite comfortably, 2-0. Our little romantic weekend away, Michael, was lovely. Just around Valentine's Day. We'll always have Bristol. We will always have Bristol. And it's, it's Speaking worth, of uh, sailors. Yeah. It's worth pausing at this point as well to... Uh, we had a moment for uh, Becchio's hot goal against Middlesbrough. Let's have uh, a moment for the, the cool martini that was um, Robert Snodgrass tiptoeing his way through the, yeah, it was lovely. the Bristol defence, like, like Lionel Messi and Eddie Gray combined. Sadly, Dan times. wasn't watching the, the pitch when he scored that. <laughs> I was trying to get score updates from elsewhere, yeah. <laughs> he's he's going to score! Is he? Yeah, yeah, he has. And to be fair, we were quite low down on that uh, sort of terracing converted into seating, but the seats had no backs either. So it was, uh, it was a shin bruiser. We had a low angle on the, on the pitch. And I couldn't have seen much anyway. Low roof, quite a few ciders. All in impediments to vision. But it's, yeah. I like the last touch of that where he just sort of stopped about eight yards out and just leaned back all the time in the world. It was almost, it was a slow-mo. It was almost like was, a yeah. slow-mo, wasn't yeah. it? Like Eddie Gray against Burnley. Yeah. Well, Eddie Gray probably moved faster. Eddie Gray probably moves faster than Snodgrass now. <laughs> Certainly getting out of bed in the morning, I imagine it's easier to, easier to move. Onto a game that you identified as one of your highlights of the season, Moscow, 2-2 at home to Norwich. And it was a fine game. It was, it was just a, a bang really, lot of fun. It was a really good game, wasn't it? Yeah, everybody up for it. And the, um, Norwich, it's a bit annoying that they get promoted because they were the team 
I mean, Millwall are just an absolute joke from start to finish, but Norwich coming up with us, that was a team to measure ourselves against and try and keep pace with. And we did in both games, and especially in this one where it could have gone anyway, end-to-end football, blood and guts and thunder and guts and <laughs> guts. guts. Yeah. Volleys. And volleys as well. But that was the game you thought, it could be either of us that goes up this season. We're capable. And we weren't. <laughs> well, there were a lot of teams that got into second and the playoff places and then just slipped away. And it just followed a pattern for quite a few teams to, to do what we'd done. So we weren't any different from five or six other teams, really. But we did our, we held our own against Norwich, who were probably favourites at that time to go up. And on to a game we should have won in the midweek after. Again, the Tuesday curse rearing its ugly head again. Barnsley at home. Stupid. 3-3. Should have won it. Less stupid than 5-2. Yeah, still pretty still stupid. stupid, nonetheless. There was a feeling as well that we were desperate to... At least get some revenge for uh, the five-two. Uh, mm, it was the, back to the old Bandley style defence. It was the different personnel, but the same chaotic system. You could see it coming as well. And then onto a TV horror show where it all went wrong, and we worried about us playing a four-four-two with the flaky house and in midfield, and it materialised, and we got smashed three-nil on telly. In retrospect, not such a bad thing in itself because it was Swansea who were a fine football team. Yeah, we've just seen what they did to Reading. Yeah, it wasn't a, a freak show that they put on. However, big mistake from Grayson, do you think, going 4-4-2 in that? This is when Bradley Johnson was suspended, wasn't it? And it seems to have done quite a lot for his reputation because uh, he seems to have... I must have missed it, but apparently he had a great second half of the season. And a lot of it seems to be based on, well, look what happened at Swansea when he didn't play. Oh, wow, yeah, I don't really buy it, but it did turn A lot that, of people that, didn't play at Swansea. Yeah, yeah that exactly. Was down, that was down also, to formation, wasn't yeah. it? Well, and a lot of people at that time as well were getting bored or at least restless with the 4-5-1 and were saying, we should, Sommer scored a lot of goals at the start of the season, let's get him back in, let's go back to 4-4-2, we'll have him playing with a partner and we'll see what happens. And we tried it and we got Dick 3-0. But that was the big backlash, wasn't it? I think it was more directed towards the transfer policy at that point. Yeah. And it was a backlash against the fact that we hadn't signed anyone in order to fill that gap when Johnson was out. And we did have a clear penalty chance. We did, yeah. 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 If, yeah. if that had been gone to yeah, one, just for half time, yeah. yeah. And Sommer did miss a couple as well, if I remember. Yeah. But then into March, and things started to swing a little bit back in our favour again. Good solid home win against Doncaster, who perhaps there was a little hangover from our league one day. I wouldn't describe that as a good solid home win. <laughs> It was crazy, yeah. No, no, no. It was all over the place. Didn't we let them score just before half-time? They got 1-1 or something. We did, yeah. Yeah, we had a free kick just before half-time. And Johnson, it was about halfway line, wide left, and Johnson kicked it back to Schmeichel to just keep possession in injury time. Let's keep it. And then Schmeichel welled it at McCartney on the left wing, who couldn't control it, went out for a throw-in, and then virtually went up and scored. So it's that... Naivety. Yeah, we're not being... Schmeichel was at fault for that. Not jo- Johnson was getting a lot of stick from the people around me for for doing it, but I thought he'd done the right thing. Mm. Don't well, don't pump it up and lose. The, yeah, concede yeah, possession. Yeah. But yeah, it was then Casper's fault that we did. But, you could yeah. just sort of it, you could see it coming. You could see that it was nearly half time, and they'd all stopped thinking. Yeah, them was really thinking about what they were doing. They were thinking about oranges, weren't they? They were. And then in the second half, when we went. Um, did Doncaster go in the lead? They went 2-1 up and Gradle basically ran back to our goal, got the ball, put it on the <laughs> centre spot and went up the other end and scored. It's like, we're not having... Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, we'll just get, get it back to 2-2, like, right, we'll win now. And then 5-2 was the... Uh, it was easy in the end. Yeah, there was still the element of these... These players look like a bunch of real idiots at times. 
it could have been many more than five in the end. In, even in the first half, we were much better than them. But How they went into the lead was an absolute mystery to everybody. I mean, they'd, it had been like Man United going into the lead against Barcelona. It was such a, a one-sided game. But, but somehow we've again managed to, to, shoot yeah, managed foot, to yeah. uh, give goals away. Well, that's it. We had you know, a performance that should have made it a comfortable home win, but we still did loads of things to make sure that it was really dicey. Keep it interesting. Keep the ticket prices high. <laughs> and then after that, a, a remarkable evening. Remarkable. One that, you know, we've paused for thought for a couple of the moments bus. on this podcast. The bus is here! <laughs> beep, beep. Two things, a Tuesday night win and Billy Painter's bus finally arrived. It's the Wyvern stop. I told you! <laughs> the Square Ball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. So we went into the Preston game hoping to avenge that 6-4 aberration earlier in the season and we did, which is great news. At the time we won 2-1 but that was the end of the good news really for this season, wasn't it? Because the run-in, the remaining sort of 8-10 games, just a paltry return. It was funny, the uh, Preston game, we responded to their freak 6-2 win by having our two freakish goal scorers. 6-4. 6-4 win even. I, I blank out two of ours. <laughs> we, we frankly didn't deserve them. Um <laughs> Yeah, because Kilkenny, it wasn't just um, Painter's bus that arrived, but what's what's Australian for bus? Bus. <laughs> Kilkenny's bus <laughs> uh, <laughs> arrived as well and took him. His, uh, I imagine he has a carriage. Kilkenny. <laughs> Kilkenny's barbecue was lit. Oh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was nice to get. And Painter's goal was a very good goal. Swerved through a couple of defenders, walloped it in the far bottom corner past the keeper. We thought, okay, what well, we got about ten games that season. To go. Even even well, a stopped clock. Well, <laughs> no, we could have ten more of them before the season. Well, you did the yeah, At this point, you kind of thought, oh, good. Well, he's come back now. He's, he's got his goal. He's going to find some form, and we'll now push on for the end of the season running. Because we've not mentioned um, really, apart from his hot goal, that Becchio had a really really good season after wondering if we if he'd be able to cope one without Beckford and two with being in a higher division. But all through our good run, he was getting goals. He was just like, he was, you'd always get one or two in every every win. But we worked poor Lucy into the ground. He was looking like a, a distinctly broken pony by this stage. And we hoped maybe Painter can... Because uh, can, people didn't really seem to... Well, people wanted Summer back in, but would he do the work that... Um, we had, the, we had a system set by that stage, which yeah. we knew at least mainly worked. Yes. <laughs> there were a few times it, it broke a bit, but... Unfortunately, we didn't realise that just taking out a Becchio and putting in a Billy wasn't keeping quite the same quality of tactics that uh, that we had. And lo, we went to Ips. We played Ipswich and it was not good. Well, let's quickly just look at those games as a whole. There were eight games that followed that Preston game. One win from those eight matches. Good win, 4-1, guess Nottingham Forest. And yeah, an unconvin- a very unconvincing 4-1. <laughs> After they'd gone down to 10 men and we'd roughed them up a little bit. But we, you can see we where it all went wrong. Six points from 24 from that run of eight games that followed Preston. So, yeah, Ipswich at, at home, nil-nil. We should have won it that game. We didn't play that badly, as I, as I remember. But the break didn't come, which is fine, as long as you then pick up points in your uh, your next game. Which, of course, was our lovely lunchtime trip to Sheffield United. What a dog of a game. It was awful. That was awful. really miserable. Um, no redeeming features in that game. Bannon was in. Howsam ended up being pushed out wide. Painter sent off. Painter came on. Painter got sent. Yeah, it was just everything went wrong. And to lose to that. Having said that, we have to mention their stadium announcer who said, see you next season. 
In actual fact, <laughs> they will be seeing Stevenage next season and not Leeds United. However, back to the game. And Danny Wilson. <laughs> yes. A popular appointment. Yeah. <laughs> so that well, was Mary's Boy Child's a good tune. I don't see why there's so much anger in uh, Sheffield United. They just don't appreciate good soft rock. It was Mary's prayer, but there you go. Fuck. Ah, that's your Danny Wilson joke. Back in your face. Can we do it again? No. Nope. Um, I always think of you being in the Christians. I forget he was a solo. But this one of the results, was that not the product of not buying somebody in the, in the transfer window? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, And we've, we've made do with, or made do with Livermore. Barron was a little bit better than Livermore and showed a bit of promise. Although but he didn't, but he didn't have time to bed in, did no, he? No, he didn't, no. So. But we didn't buy anybody for the role we've been desperate for for quite a long time. Yeah, instead we, we, a, got, uh, we got better versions of House and... and uh, and Kilkenny in, in Bannon didn't quite know where to put him in because we already had Howson and Kilkenny yeah. <laughs> who were doing adequately well yeah. and Kilkenny ended up being dropped which upset the balance and yeah that was the thing we sort of we made the changes that we should have made in January if, if we were going to make them at all and it was too late and the wrong thing to do really I mean we were winning with that team and then we suddenly brought some lone players in to improve the team and got worse we got the chicken back we took its luminous sticker off we cooked it we had a few mouthfuls and hmm <laughs> bit chewy this isn't does yours taste alright <laughs> no what's in the cupboard let's have some beans <laughs> so from Sheffield United um, yeah we, we mentioned the Forest match great win back on the telly again it really really annoyed the Forest fans and Billy Davis about the sending off was it Cohen who got the red card it was um, we looked like we might have got beaten had they stayed at 11 men yeah we did and it was on coming after the Sheffield United game don't think that many people were of the impression that we turned a corner. I think people did see it as we've got a little bit luckier. Got a bit lucky and we're very happy to stick it right in Billy Davis's that face. Nice. That became... could have been one of those games where we had a poor first half and came out in the second That's half true. and turned them over. So we've done that in the past. And it, Especially he was, against them. He was the pantomime villain, wasn't he? He characterised why we needed to win, sticking it up Davis. Well, yeah, his performance at half-time when he was strutting around the pitch going come on the fans going second half we'll do this lots yeah no you won't loser (laughs) (laughs) nor will you ever go up in the playoffs nope (laughs) again Um, so that was the the one game in this eight sequence that we actually did win we then went to bloody Millwall and their dive of a ground in South London next to a scrapyard and recycling plant and it's a no (laughs) don't like it we lost 3-2 yeah it was shit yeah, moving on. But not as bad as Derby. Well, yes, this was our fabled square ball trip to uh, to Pride Park and we found the chippy, as you must have heard if you've listened to the last few yeah, podcasts. We never stopped going on about it. Before, <laughs> yeah. Crazy japes that we got up to in Derby. But yeah, in terms of the football... Robbie Savage is a c- in terms of the football. It's the main thing I took away from that game. Yeah. And yeah. no, we don't want him to sign for Leeds. No, Can we no. just... He's retired. He's retired now. Yes, yeah. but even it doesn't stop people from saying, Savage could do a job for us. He, he you may not like him, but you like him if you play for us. No, I wouldn't. Leave a shit job he did. I'd just have more opportunities to kill him if he played for us. He'd yeah. be in the same He'd, city. I'd find, I could find out where he was. I could go and um, probably wouldn't kill him. Probably you wouldn't just, set long yeah. to find out where he was because he'd be telling the whole world where he was at oh, every exactly. opportunity. Have you seen anyone wearing Ugg boots? <laughs> Blonde hair. Robbie Savage, che- Robbie Savage has checked into Tony and Guy. Leeds University will probably be littered with the uh, the, the bodies of female students who sadly mistaken for Robbie Savage as they yeah. just go about their studies. There's something we didn't, didn't mention. Where you going with that? <laughs> <laughs> something we didn't mention. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That derby as well. He did a, a lap of honour at the end of the game. Oh, which yeah. was, and he tries to make out he's like a big pantomime villain, but he's a big pantomime dame. And he's, he's a fucking whore. <laughs> <laughs> well, he really is. He's, he's on every single show on the BBC trying to hawk himself around for a career, mm. which he's clearly no good at. Do you know what? It, it, just to depart from the matches themselves, and, and he's putting on Twitter trying to annoy Leeds fans about, say, I'm in Leeds discussing a two-year contract. It was actually with William Hill because mm. he was coming to the headquarters in Leeds. But he's doing it just to, in, just to incite people and annoy people because he knows he is a total Marmite character, except hated. He's more like Jake Goody than a footballer. <laughs> Just wants to get his bloody face there for whatever reason. And that was the point at which we knew, I think, the game was up, wasn't it? Yeah, that drive back from Derby, I think we were all, it was just, yeah, we're not going up. And then back to Ellen Road and, again, the worst of Leeds coming out, conceding silly goals, 2-2 at home to Watford. A side that we probably underestimated quite a bit, I think. I mean, you were saying we felt it was over after Derby, but... We still had plenty of time to pull it round, and had we won, as the final table showed, had we won these home games, we'd have quite comfortably got in the playoffs. That was we, the uh, thing. I could tell, though. We just by, couldn't manage it. I could tell by the Derby game, though, we weren't going to win those home games. I just knew it. Just when yeah, we got... but had we won those home games, we'd have lost at QPR and fucked yeah, up, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, the pre- yeah, because the pressure was off towards the end, yeah. wasn't it? So in this eight-game sequence, of which we only won one match, the next one was the Reading match at home, again on the telly. And we, we put in a sterling performance against the genuine contender at that time and the form side in the division. Yeah, Reading kind of, going for what you were saying earlier about there's always a team that sort of burns brightly early on and then drops down through the playoffs. Reading did it, timed it the other way. And in a way, I don't know, um, Reading, Berkshire, a warning from history, playoff final kind of showed that perhaps we were fortunate just not to have to go all the way to Wembley to get leathered by Swansea. We just had the one battering off them mm. at uh, the Liberty Stadium and left it at that rather than getting the uh, getting into the playoffs and then getting... It would have been an awful way to again. spend a bank holiday. So yeah, after that Reading match, Crystal Palace away, the nail in the coffin really, that one wasn't it? That, that was the game that took it out of our hands really. That's when it kind of turned from disappointing to angry with Crystal Palace, wasn't it? Because there was just absolutely no fight left in them at that point and it just looked like a bunch of idiots who'd given up on thinking and 
trying. Well, this is why I kind of raised the point in the previous podcast about McCartney being a little bit hard done to by saying that the players were tired and we, we sort of threw around the idea that maybe it was mental tiredness or mental weakness. And perhaps he had a point when you look at this Crystal Palace match that we just weren't at the races for that last bit of the season. Well, they played so well against Reading, the performance was there and then at Palace, it was like a totally different side. Yeah, and that well, and that's going from Friday to Monday as yeah. well. You know, it's two games in. And then um, again, moving to the next game, which is Burnley, it was there again. Are they physically tired as well playing that? Well, who knows? Or is, it, is this just, again, the hallmark of an inconsistent team, which is ultimately what we proved to be? Mm. I mean, to talk about the... McCartney thing for I don't think what he said was all that bad and the only reason that it kind of got thrown back at him was because Bates used it in his post takeover interview to kind of distract everybody from the fact that he just bought club because he dealt with that very quickly and then spent a lot of time going on about how the current boot boy McCartney had been misbehaving and talking about what he'd been finding training so he dragged up a load of shit about McCartney just to distract everybody from it's a poor base. scapegoat by Ken's standards. Normally, at least find some kind of official body to, to blame oh, did, did things he not on. At least chuck some uh, some government bodies. David Conn. Yeah, um, well, there, that was there were a few spread it around. To... There wasn't one main one this time, was there? There were a few. Yeah, but McCartney was the one that he knew the fans would like, and it, it's got picked up on a lot of people. You know, so it like about Ken Bates. He's right about George McCartney, and he was right about him because he, he has been pretty terrible for most of the time. But he made it a bigger deal than it was, and it kind of. Uh, negate the fact that McCartney may well have had a point that he said, you know, yeah, we're all a bit knackered. Been a long season, played a lot of games. Well, we will talk about Grayson's man management um, in a moment, but Gary McSheffrey don't think much of it. <laughs> well, well, not man management so much as use of the squad then, shall we say. But um, yeah, final two games of the season, two good performances, two wins. Um, too late. Too little, too late, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, very Leeds United. The, the Burnley match, thoroughly deserved win, played really well. Ross McCormack. And super. Who knew? We, well, I did. I knew. <laughs> Apparently, we'd bought a striker at some point during the season. <laughs> and again, just another annoyance with how the season had panned out, I guess, by seeing him come good so late when it was too late. Had we maybe utilised him better earlier in the season? And, you know, we've gone through the reasons why he wasn't used, i.e., formation <laughs> and Becchio and so on. But still, had Grayson been a bit braver, you feel maybe that we might have got those extra few points to see us up. That might be a good point, actually, about bravery of selection, that players like McCormack, he sort of, he, he never seemed able to find the time where he would say, you know what, I'll try it. I'll throw McCormack in and we'll see what happens. And I wonder if that's maybe a symptom of us doing so well. Or better uh, than we thought. Yeah, that we were, we were near it. And so he didn't want to throw in a player that he hadn't tried and hadn't seen a lot of. But then he kind of gave that by the fact that Painter turned up towards the end as well. So... <laughs> But was he not playing Painter for his own confidence that he got finally got to a position where he was playing games regularly? He got a goal eventually. He needed to be on a roll to keep playing those games to get his confidence up and get a few more goals. Yeah. So I can see his logic in trying to keep with him. From what we've seen of Painter in those games, he's nowhere near as good as Sommer, which we saw against QPR. As soon as Sommer came on, our whole pattern changed and... It looks a lot more like scoring. Well, let's do more about this in the next bit, and yeah. let's just box off the season then with the QPR match and say, as we mentioned on the previous podcast, we went down there, we spoiled their big day, nice win. And yeah. you know what? It's nice to finish the season on a high, beating the champions on their own patch, and it, it at least gives you a little bit of confidence going into the close season, thinking, well, you know what? We're all right. No matter how bad we've been at times, we're all right. Kilkenny and Johnson were good. So we ultimately came up short in the promotion push. Worth considering now then what went well and what went wrong. Let's have a quick look at the squad then. Standout performers, people who should be hauled off and never seen again. 
Got to start, I guess, with uh, Gradle and Snodgrass has been the two standout performers for the, for the season. Got better later and later as the season went on and more important to us. They missed pre-season, largely um, Snodgrass did especially. Um, and then Gradle took a while to get going because of his, uh, his uh, misdemeanours against Bristol Rovers. But both absolutely fantastic. I think if we could build a team around them, we'd be fantastic. Whether it may be Newcastle and or... Hamburg, who build a team around them. <laughs> Any arguments with Gradle winning Player of the Year? Wouldn't fancy my chances. What <laughs> <laughs> against Max? Yeah, not unless Beckford's there to hold him back. No, but- I think he was fantastic. I think it took us all by surprise as well, because even though he was good last year when he came in, he generally was at his best as a substitute and late in games, whereas this year he's done it from the off and he's been uh, consistently our best player, both going forward and quite often defensively. Puts in so much running. He takes a lot of responsibility as well. I mean, not just the defensive work he puts in, but like the Doncaster game that we spoke about. He, quite often, he'd be the one getting the ball out of the net and he'd say, right, let's sort this out. And he he was influential beyond just being good, which we don't really have many players with that, that sort no. of character. It was frustrating with his final ball last season. But I think this year he's developed and he's coming a long way, I think. He's getting there, isn't he? You, yeah, you yeah. feel that maybe in another 12 months' time, hopefully if we can hold on to him and he's still our player, that you'll see an even further improvement that he's going to perhaps know when to release it and not just bang in another shot, maybe bring his teammates into it a little bit more. But then you look at his goals record this year and you think he is is entitled to shoot because he gets them in quite often. It's Bradley Johnson that we needed to prevent (laughs) shooting. (laughs) Well, that's not going to be a problem for us now, is it? I don't think that's... That's not going to be our issue anymore. Worth pointing out the, um, the fact that Becchio and Snodgrass, we didn't know if they were going to be good enough for this division at the start of the season. And they both proved that they were. Not to mention Sommer as well as the uh, surprise package. I think that Snowgrass has had a good season, but it's worrying that he's again tailed off for the last month of it, which he did at the end of the previous season as well. But, you know, hopefully with a full pre-season behind him, he'll be he'll be better next year. But I don't know whether he'll just be more tired. I think maybe having a, a lay down for the first few months of the season <laughs> maybe helped him. We also face the added pressure of not knowing whether he's going to be ours or not, do we? That's, yes. that's the... well, if he goes into the Premier League, he'll have less games to play. That's true. So that'll help him. So he'll be knackered after 19 games yeah, instead. <laughs> On the upside, away from the squad then, most entertaining season we've had in a long, long time. Goals, goals, goals. Four and against. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some merits to not really having a defence, is there? Something's going to happen. It's not good for your coronary situation. You might end up having a heart attack at any point, but it's certainly entertaining. Well, the goals... For Leeds United is a, a bonus remembering that uh, Beckford went and we replaced it with Billy Payne's who missed quite a lot of the season. I thought you were going to say chances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could just stop at Billy Painter who missed. Yeah, I mean, there, there is still hope for Painter. Not a great deal of it, but he did have a just getting injured. And was it like the second pre-season game? It's not the start you want at a new club. But the players who did come in, Becchio um, proved he could play at this level. Yeah, he stepped up, we didn't did he? pretty much, as we said earlier, run him into the ground for most games, playing the one up front. Uh, but he, he returned quite a few goals. He got enough. Throughout the season, I kept thinking he was going to show himself up, and he never did. So, no. fair enough. He's, uh, he's well and truly proved me wrong this year. I thought he was going to struggle. With Summer as well, who, again, looks good enough for this division. And I think it is a shame that he didn't play more, but I guess he just suffered from the fact that we were just playing one up front. He was definitely second in, in line in, from behind Becchio in terms of like the amount of time on the pitch, but he just couldn't get... There's no reason at any point really to drop Becchio, so he just had to put up with it, basically. And so, But it's good from our point of view. Now we know that Painter, not so hot, Summer, hot, 
McCormack. Lukewarm. Get in there. Yeah. yeah. One good thing to come out of this season that's not necessarily football related is that now we know who owns the football club. So um, there's a degree of accountability, which we spoke about last time. So we don't need to go on about it too much, but it is a big plus point. And if we go up next year, then we'll be allowed to. Premier League had said this year we might not be able to. Let's lend a critical eye to what's happened this, this season then. What do we think went wrong? The obvious starting point, last summer's transfers didn't really work out as well as we might have wanted, really, you think? Connolly always gets forgotten. He did fine. He's all right. Yes, Paul he's a, Connolly. He's a, he's a six out of ten most games, isn't he? He's like, Solid yeah. fullback. But then, yeah, you look at the, the signs of Bersona and Collins. I mean, we knew Collins wasn't very good, and we still signed him. We'd seen him playing our crap part of the season last year. What I don't get with this, particularly manifesting itself through Collins, is that we seem to build a, a squad just to stay up. It was a very much a keep-your-heads-above-water summer of recruitment, which to me smacks of a lack of ambition in one respect. It shows because he got rid of Collins, didn't he, when he realised that perhaps we were going to do a little bit better than we initially thought. But Collins had played in the Championship. Yeah, badly. It may just have been that Grayson and co. were as unsure about the squad we had as we all were. Because it, it was a, a suck it and see with Grade or Snodgrass and Becchio. How are they going to cope? What will they do? We got what purported to be a really good goalkeeper in and then just hoped, let's get through to Christmas and see what happens. We got to Christmas, everything's looking fine. Right, get shot up with Sony and Collins and we'll try and get some decent ones instead. Now we know that we're going to be okay. But why not try and improve that quality from the outset? Why not, you know, if you're going to buy a centre-half, why make it Neil it Collins? It seems a case of you, you buy cheap, you buy twice, is the, yeah, as the yeah, saying yeah. goes. That we end up... Be the, We've been, we've been buying Alba stereos and getting them home and discovering they're not very good. <laughs> but we don't know what restrictions Grayson's got in terms of finances to bring anybody in. Yeah, and would we have got Andy O'Brien when we were, if we were going to be bottom of the championship all season, but when we're in the top six going for the playoffs, can you go to Andy O'Brien and say, why don't you come for a promotion push? To be fair, when we signed O'Brien, we were struggling a bit. Do we class O'Brien as a success then or, or, or as a marginal failure? Because he's very much a mixed bag. He's an improvement on Collins, but... Better than what we had, which is what you can hope when you bring somebody in and which has not happened with some signings he's had. It's encouraging that he looked better with Naylor next to him in the last few games. Hopefully, if he can be the, the junior partner in a defensive pairing, then he'll be all right. Yeah, there was some thought because he was being partnered with Bruce and then Bromby and they were um, both players that he sort of, he seemed to feel that he had to keep an eye on them and like do half their job as well. And it was just... Wasn't really working. Well, he didn't have to go and do his own yeah. job. Yeah, you don't yeah. have that in there. And so if we get um, Kisnobo back from the dead as well, then Kisnobo and O'Brien, I think, should be. But is this is this another suck it and see situation? We're not again going back to maximising our opportunities like the January transfer window. We really we need to be going out and looking for that solid centre half that we know is going to be fine. Well, we should. But then I mean, Grayson's first interview about the summer transfer plans. He said, "Well." We'll have to replace the players that we've that we're letting go, and that means seeing who's available for free, and hopefully signing some good players and not too many bad ones. And that speaks to me not of Simon Grayson being uninterested in success. That just means Simon Grayson is Working aware within limitations. Yeah, that he's not gonna necessarily be able to go and pay a fee for anybody. He obviously has some latitude in um, wages to be able to get, like for Brian and. Um, you know, spend all of the Arsenal money on McCartney's wages at the end of the season. But he obviously, it seems like he feels he is in the market at that level where he can only sign a certain standard of player. And if you're signing players from that sort of, that rank, they won't all work. You'll be, you'll have personas mm. in there and you just don't know until 
Do you know I mean? It's going to be hit and miss. Yeah, and that's what he's lumbered with, we're lumbered with, and it may also be that it's what Gwyn Williams is lumbering him with because he's the uh, the dark force who, who never gets shifted through uh, through all the managers we have. He's always behind the scenes directing things. It's worth mentioning that it has worked at points. I mean, of, the, of our best players now, you look at Snodgrass, Becchio, Gradle. Gradle had had a bit of a spell at Leicester where he'd done quite well, but they're not players you'd generally heard of, whereas you see, you know, Cardiff going out and signing Craig Bellamy and everyone thinks, wow, well, that's a, obviously a brilliant signing. We have, at points, played the market quite well. Yeah, It's just that we've picked up a fair amount of uh, ballast along the way. Well, the, prob- <laughs> the problem is that, you know, we have Snodgrass, Becchio, Gradle and Kilkenny and Johnson weren't big deals before we bought them. Kilkenny especially is like a reserve player at Birmingham, wasn't he? And yet it's Bersoni that we beat Grayson over the head with for being rubbish in the transfer market. So it's always, it's maybe we do need to look on the bright side a bit more. But well, maybe that, we do need to sign Les Frost. Well, with that in mind, look at his utilisation of the squad. McCormack, we can say underused. Sommer, never had a proper run at things. Again, hamstrung by the, the, the formation and perhaps that's a reflection on the squad being limited. But that's got to be put down as one of his failings, I would say. Fail to use the players at his disposal. Absolutely, and over and overused others as well. Like Housen played every every league game this season, and for large patches of it, he didn't do anything for six seven games at a time. You could barely say he'd done a single thing particularly well. And even if John Housen was our very best player, he shouldn't play every game. No, that's the thing. Mm. Top teams don't, generally speaking, just play their key player over and over again. But we are saying though that we've got a bit of dross and ballast, so yeah, we can't have it both ways. But if you look at his position, you think McCormack could have filled in there. Nunes could maybe have filled in there. We could have changed formation and gone four four two at some point if we'd have had the other players that that would have allowed us to shuffle it or had the balls to just say sod it, we're going to make a change. And going back to the defence as well, we had Lee Bromberry not getting a sniff of a game till earlier this year. Probably February time when he got a sniff of the game. So he was he's a player who's played at this level for the majority of his career and surely could have done an, an okay job once he came in. I think Bromby was maybe illustrates that he was out of it and then when he did come in, looked decent, but it wasn't sustained. It kinda of, we ended up having to drop him because he was mm. causing more problems than he solved. But he was fine for two or three games and so it's like, well, why didn't he get those two or three games at some point? earlier and same with maybe you know Nunes or Clayton that it wouldn't have completely derailed our season just to drop Housen and play Nunes for one game. Well we spoke of a lack of bravery maybe in, in utilising his squad and it's easy to pick out scapegoats many people have scapegoated Billy Painter this season but I actually want to scapegoat Johnny Housen now who's been a really good performer this season but as you said he's gone off the boil several times you know for several games in a row and he's the one who never gets dropped yet was always appearing to be a bit of a weak link in midfield but it's worth saying it's not his fault that he's never dropped I mean no, oh no. that's when the manager needs, needs to look at it and say what's this player actually done in the last month and make a change because he's shown at points that he can be a really good player and for all we know like we talk about Snodgrass looking tired we rarely talk about Housen looking tired but maybe he is maybe that's why he chases shadows some games because he's played every single minute of every game and you've got to I think look at the fact that you've got to put the right players in for the right formation, haven't you? And if you realise that Housen's not good commanding a four-man midfield, then you've got to be brave and leave him out, haven't you? And put somebody else in who's more capable in that position. But again, that leads us on to the problem of having the personnel, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think that maybe is part of it. that We seem to have a first eleven that if they played slightly above themselves would be contenders for automatic promotion. 
but you're trying to keep them at that pitch of constantly performing and keeping the rhythm going. And so you're not going to want to to leave anybody out because your reserve players, they could be that level worse that it just it disrupts things enough. You know, it's like a really tightly stretched rubber band. It's a very fine balancing act, really. But then yeah. again, I guess this in it many ways... It wouldn't take much to cock the whole thing well, up. It goes it back to the whole to... point of building a squad for staying up primarily. And then it also goes back to last summer and the failure to recruit a midfielder, ultimately. Yeah. But he was brave enough to drop him for the Bristol Rovers game. Last game of last season. Yeah, but again, it it's, it's, the bench. it's the too little too late thing, yeah, isn't yeah. it? When people but, say he should have been rested before that and, and it's always the last throw of the dice with Leeds, isn't yeah, it? it? Sometimes it, was, it works, sometimes yeah, it doesn't. It was the same this season. As soon as it didn't matter, McCormack appeared and, uh, and changes started to be made. What came back from injury but was more involved. But yeah, the Eustace and Montgomery were the ones that we were expecting and uh, Southern was uh, talked about in January and it sounds like with Blackpool getting relegated they're going to keep him now because I think Holloway said something like he wished he'd played him more this season I think we were that close to getting him if the and it seems that that is very true that we were it was only that he got back into Blackpool's team that he wasn't here so I think we've been saying it since the start of the season it's not like we're not looking unfortunately the only one we've managed to get was Andy Fay who was uh, old and papering over the cracks, wasn't it? That well, it wasn't papering over the cracks. He was just we a needed a player. Gap, a yeah, here is a player we can get. Let's get him. And we didn't, you know, we didn't bet the farm on him. We gave him a couple of months and see how it went, and it didn't go. Band and Livermore were probably more papering over the cracks because that just seemed like who's young and decent in the Premier League and that we can have those two. Right, well, all this failure to build for the long term though is resulting in bad short term decisions, isn't it? Yes, but is it their fault that we can't get? I mean, what happened with Eustace and Montgomery? They both in the end decided to stay where they were for their own reasons, and there's not a lot you can do about that. And there aren't thousands of players available probably aren't even tens of players available that would be better than Johnson, Kilkenny or Housen. So you've got to wait for those ones to, to come along. And if they're not coming along, you're a bit screwed. With the loans, it's frustrating though to see someone like Bannon in particular, who's very highly rated, people are tipping him to be in Villa's first team next year, coming in and not having much of an impact and being played a little bit out of position. And then you see other teams getting these youngsters in, sometimes only for a 10-game stretch, and they do really well for them in that period. But it never seems to, to do that for us. It seems like Livermore and Bannon, if anything, seem to make us worse because we were trying to stick them in the wrong position and people weren't used to playing with them. Disrupted the balance, didn't it? Exactly. We, it's like we were... With Liverpool in particular, we seem to stick him in and say, like, boss this midfield, and he failed quite spectacularly. Just returning to the uh, the housing issue, he's spoken, I don't know if you caught, I think it was his LUTV interview towards the end of the season, and he was making noises about perhaps being considered as a second striker, which is interesting. Maybe there is a future for him in a more advanced position because you could argue based on this season that central midfield is not necessarily his forte. He's clearly a very good finisher. He's probably second only to Sommer, I would say, in in his shooting ability, but yeah, like you say, defensively and dragging a team forward, he doesn't seem necessarily to have it. So what would we be doing? Would it be four four one one? Well, sort of. It's like a pardon my language, but Sheringham type role, you know, sort of thing in in behind a guy who's an out and out striker. Yeah, yeah. Which is not dissimilar to what he's been doing this season, actually. When you look at the four five one, and he was doing it well when he when he played there, and maybe maybe that's what it needs to be told. Yes, you are Teddy Sheringham playing the whole. Not that whole, whole <laughs> um, rather than just being a bit... Sometimes mouthed. you're moving back, sometimes yeah. you're pushing forward, yeah. But I remain to be convinced that I think players who play that position tend to have a bit more character than... Um, it also than needs a midfield three who can, can boss a game 
to allow him to do that. Yeah, so yeah, if, if yeah. we've got, yeah, if we actually get a midfield in place that allows him yeah. to flourish, yeah, definitely. I mean, the problem is we've got so much, um, we've also got too much flair in Snodgrass and uh, Gradle that we can't allow Johnny to just go and live out his Melchester Rovers dreams um, <laughs> as a second striker. We have Lloyd Sam as well, who played well when he came on. He'll fill in so- well for either of those that we saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cynics. See what happens. Pull the various threads together then and we'll put it in the form of a question. In light of the parameters that we suspect Grayson is working within, as a score out of 10, how do you think he figured this season in terms of what he got out of the team, how he managed the team? Can you give him a score out of 10? I'd give him a 7. I would go along with that. I'd go 7, yeah. You st- I mean, that's fair. Every time we've lost a game, you go on forums and there's people saying he should be sacked. And I mean, that's clearly stupid and knee-jerk. But I suppose if we're, if we're out, outside of the top... 10, maybe in October of next year, I think he'll probably be looking over his shoulder, particularly if he does get to buy a few more players this year and they don't work out. But you've seen in the press conferences after the after the Barnsley game and the Preston game that he looked almost as dumbfounded as we did as to how the fuck did that happen. Yeah. But we don't know what goes on the training pitch as but, to whether he's they're not doing what they're told on the pitch, which is hinted at. He has said that, hasn't yeah. he? He's, he's mm. sort of hinted towards the fact that they're, they're not following instructions and he's blaming it on naivety because they lose their heads and go wandering off and do what and they want. And there is the cliche that there's nothing he can do once they cross that white line. Yeah. And if they're not listening or do what they're told, then... I mean, I don't think I ever saw Grayson send a team out and I looked at it and thought, that bunch are going to concede six. I mean, even the, the team that went out against Preston, there was no clue at the start of the game, that he was going to end up being 6-4. It was nothing about... Probably about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing about well, the I, formation actually, sorry, to or the players. Well, you look at the side, the side that went down under Dennis Wise and you knew they were going to go out and get a hiding sometimes, mm. you could tell. But you never felt that with this team. No. and but just freak... Cardiff. We yeah, all felt we'd get a hammering <laughs> at Cardiff. But, but just those freak things. Um, but not your Barnsley's and your Preston's. Your, your Swansea's, your Cardiff's, you could possibly expect to beat him. Yeah. I would I worry about him a bit next season because Bates has already, I think, you never know how, well, you can't believe a word he says, but when he was asked what was going on for next season, he just said, we're going to get up, we'll get promoted. Um, so, but that, he was like laying laying the market down that next season is promotion. And he has, he's sort of, he's sounded pissed off that we haven't gone up this year. Um, there has been a public expression of a bit of dissatisfaction with the way it's worked out. Yeah, and I wish he'd shut up. Um, I know he owns the club, but I'm not interested. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm not feeling good about Ken Bates today. <laughs> but he's got to take some responsibility for that. He can't just say... Well, he has to we're, now, we're, he owns we're it. guessing it now that there are some restrictions on what Grayson can do in the transfer market. The blame's got to lie with him for some portion of that. But he's, he's, the one, he's the one with his finger on the trigger, so... That's right. And yeah. he's the one who hasn't put any money in as well. That's yeah. the other thing, is we're entirely relying... <laughs> We're entirely relying on money that the club generates and a great deal of the money that the club generates is spent on legal bills and um, rents and rents and um, stadium also. extensions and other. Yeah, we're going to have a museum next season, but whether we're going to have a midfield is open to question and I don't think that's going to be entirely Simon Grayson's fault. Well, that was the 2010-2011 season. We're now heading into the summer. Uh, players are away on holidays. We expect Johnson and Kilkenny to be leaving the fold. I hope they've been made aware of that. Cause yeah, so we're told on the club website. Yeah, Kilkenny's away on international duty and does appear to have been told his future's over because he hasn't signed a contract while he's on the other side of the world. There's something a bit uncomfortable about it being played out in public like this. Um, yes. As as happened with Beckford, you know. Not constantly being played out in public, but the odd message yeah. being filtered out and it either makes me uncomfortable. Decide 
and just say, we're not offering them another contract and they are going to leave. Stop these mealy mouths saying, we made another offer and we've not heard anything, so we're assuming that they're probably going to go. Just do it one way or the other and stop dicking them around and dicking us around. In public. No one likes a public standard. It also hints at the fact that they've turned it down, whether the offer's good enough or, or not. It's them who've rejected Well, it's it. about batting the ball into their yeah. court, isn't it? Yeah. And removing responsibility from the club. Again, the, the contract situation, Snodgrass entering the last year of his contract... Plenty Tell of, everyone. Plenty, <laughs> plenty, sorry, plenty of internet rumours about him leaving this summer. Wouldn't surprise me to see him go at all. No, but I mean, it's, it is weird that we got Becchio sewn up without, well, allegedly there were some difficulties with uh, <laughs> Ken Bates not perhaps having the patience to deal with the uh, the language barrier, as indeed his um, his comments about having a discussing terms with a Japanese player who wanted £8,000 a week and can't even speak English. So one, what term, what language were these terms being discussed in? Two, what difference does it make to his language skills to his wage? Anyway. I kind of just say, and I'd point out, as I pointed out on Twitter, that Bates is quite happy to pay Mark Taylor's company an average of £9,000 a week in legal fees over the course of the last two or three years. But before we stick the boot into Bates too much, we got Becky Osono back in November or December and it was dealt with fine. It's like, I mean, his contract wasn't due to run out until this summer and we got it sorted out early. Let's just do that with Snodgrass be as pro- well. Be Even though they've, they've said in the past they don't do contract negotiations through the summer. Well, it's a ludicrous thing. policy, yeah. isn't it? It's ludicrous. It's bizarre setting a rule for yourself that is so restrictive. And arbitrary. And as well, over the summer, it's a nice quiet time. There's no games to worry about. Yeah, it's not like Snodgrass is going to go and score a hat-trick and then come back and say, I want more. We know what he did last season. We can predict what he'll do next season. Offer him a wage. And then he's ours, and we've got one of the best players in the division that... Lots of, I mean, the one that would really hurt is uh, the rumours that he was going to Norwich. Not having that. I won't let him. I won't let them, won't let him. You'd cry, wouldn't you, if that happened? I'd move to Norwich. <laughs> so, yeah, they look like they're off. We will have to see who comes in. From the noises that have been made by Grayson, it's looking like freebies all the way. Yeah, some maybe, good, some bad. Yeah, maybe there will be... Some indifferent. You know, a cash signing or two, because there were last time, let's... Let's not paint a picture that's inaccurate. Cause yeah, we Bruce, paid for Bassoni, didn't we? Bruce Cash. No, Bassoni was free. Was he? Yeah. I can never yeah. remember. Bruce Cole was Matt Cash, was but Matt was paid for. Yeah. So All there, undisclosed, though. Yeah, there was yeah. there was Cash left the club. Obviously not a great deal, but... We and need... also, as we've hinted before, Schmeichel is out of contract. Yes, of course, he's, he's another one. He's only yeah. got another year left. A lot of rumours linking in with... Everyone. A lot of clubs. Well, I can't remember. I can Less see him leaving. One. Yeah, I think yeah. I think he'll be gone with him within 12 <clears> months. I think if, if we don't go up, he'll, he'll see the contract out and leave. We kind of knew that when he came, though. Yeah. But yeah. that was before we realised he wasn't quite as brilliant. See what happens. Yeah, it's going to be busy because if Johnson and Kilkenny go... Midfield is the imperative. Well, we haven't got one. Well, we need one. That's yeah, what I'm saying. so... It, it worries me that we could well be looking at freebies again because we seem we seem oddly relaxed about letting players we know leave the club for nothing and then we're looking around for other players who are leaving clubs for nothing probably because they're not agreeing terms and we're just swapping them around it seems. And it, not to mention signing on fees which you'd have to pay anyway. Exactly, it seems yeah, bizarre yeah. that we're, we're saying to Johnson I'm making these figures up but saying you know it's eight grand or nothing and then going oh there's another midfielder here for free he's out of contract so there's no fee so we can pay him 11 grand. You think where's the logic in it of letting these players move on now if if it is that Grayson's saying I don't think he's worth any more than than this amount don't go over it we'll look elsewhere then that's then that's absolutely fine I've no objection to that my worry is that we're just trying to draw a line and say look we're Leeds United if you want to play for us then it's this much if not 
just go go elsewhere. And they go, and the players are then going, oh yeah, there's quite a lot of teams interested actually, and they're paying yeah. more, and they're in yeah. higher divisions. And yeah. we're going, huh, well, yeah, you're right. looking at Eustace yeah. and Montgomery, luck. don't you? Yeah. So regardless of what happened with Eustace and Montgomery, you do suspect that that might have been part of it. And we're also letting those two go on a free without having anything else lined up beforehand. But we don't we don't know that there's nothing lined up. There might be. I mean, we're, we're speculating. We got we signed Painter almost as soon as Beckford had gone last year, so it could be just as once those two are off the books, then uh, some more rubbish will come straight it's in. It's going to be first of July when most contracts have run out, and that's yeah. when the yeah the big switch. June's I mean, got you, you look at like Craig McHale Smith. He's out of contract this time, isn't he? He's leaving. He, that was very publicly explained, and there's. Premiership clubs looking at him. I dare say, bottom end Premiership, and the chairman on Sky said uh, top end Championship. So you'd hope that would include us in that group. But whether we've got the financial muscle to to do it or the willingness to do it, is this? I mean, is it a general pessimism based around last summer? Every summer, put yeah. the necessary improvements in. Well, I was just going to make um, sort of a separate point that, but one thing about not giving players like Johnson, Kilkenny, Snodgrass new contracts is that word gets around that if you sign for Leeds United and you do well, you won't get anything. Other clubs, if you perform well, get an improved contract. Leeds just don't seem to do that. They just stick you on the same wage until you leave. Or it seems to be a real chore to get people to extend contracts. Yeah, and so if that if anybody's phoning up a Leeds player that they know and saying, is it a good idea to come and say, well get used to whatever wage you sign for because whatever you do, it will not change. It's worth mentioning people like Becchio and Johnson. When we signed them, they'll have been on very, very small wages, I imagine, because, I mean, Becchio came from the Spanish third division, which is about eight divisions all blended into one one group. So he'll, he'll have been on tiny money compared to English standards. So he's, until this point, has been on that, that sort of salary, during which time we've been getting unbelievable value out of him. Mm. So And the same with Johnson, because I doubt he'll have been on more than a couple of grand at Northampton certainly wasn't getting well perhaps he had equality at Northampton but not at Ellen Road no so that's the big fear I guess isn't it it's it's a repetition of years past where we're we're scratching around and we end up with inadequate solutions to problems that have plagued us for two years now how much longer do we let this go on so next season we've lost QPR Norwich and Swansea not too sorry to see the back of a couple of those teams We've also lost Sheffield United, Scunthorpe and Preston. You would think we'd be sorry to see the back of them, but actually we didn't fare that well against Sheffield United, did we? In, or, you know, Preston, 6-4, scary stuff. Scunthorpe could have stayed. But, but Scunthorpe would have been nice, yeah. Fairly well. Into the Championship, we've gained Blackpool, Birmingham and West Ham. Do you think the latter two of those are going to be a little bit hamstrung by getting rid of their big earners? Um, we know they've both got financial problems. Are they going to compete? You just never know, do you, when teams come down? Sometimes they... They'll keep hold of the players, much as Newcastle did and West Brom did, and they'll they'll make make the division look easy. But then equally, you know, they might end up having to, as we did, lose all the team, scrapping around the same freebies market as we are. Birmingham are going to be in an odd position because they're in Europe as well, and because their fans are that pissed off about getting relegated on the last day when they really shouldn't have done. I mean, McLeay should have been able to keep them up. They're going to want Europe to be done properly. They won't settle for just going out in an early round. If they do progress at all, they're going to be knackered quite soon. Just yesterday, actually, I read a, I read a report in uh, When Saturday Comes from the Wolves-Birmingham match, and it was a, from a Wolves fan, and he was saying that the point ensures Birmingham survival. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's that distraction for them, and then West Ham just being an absolute farce all the time. It's like there's no... They won't have Avram Grant next year, it's worth mentioning. So they, that, yeah. that, might will, have a manager. that will improve them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they'll still have their um, comedy owners, and they'll still be in the papers all the time, and just and they're going to lose a lot of players. So that they face a big rebuilding job, don't they? Hamstrung by the finances because 
they've said that their finances are some of the worst of, that have been in the, around the Premier League for, probably since us. That's what they've come into. Yeah, that's not, but they're, they're, prop, their own but making, they're, they're they've propping tried, it up. But they're propping right, it up yeah. and they can't afford to invest yeah, even yeah. to push it forward. So Sell more porn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people have been saying for ages that the fear with not getting up this season was that teams coming down with parachute payments will be that much stronger. I don't think it's really turned out that way. It's not as bad as it could have been. And also... Having a load of money in the bank doesn't necessarily guarantee it, especially not when you're going to spend it as stupidly as West Ham. Well, with those two clubs, the the parachute payments are just going to be a bit of a drop in the ocean, aren't they? They're not going to be as beneficial. If Um, anyone, Blackpool could could say because they've not spent much this year, they could. Well, they're they're set for years now, aren't they? We'll we'll spend a modest amount, like five million on players, and that could well be enough to see them bounce back. But maybe the the thing that will hamstring them is that they're not necessarily that attractive a proposition, are they? Or maybe they will be slightly more attractive because they've been Premier League, who knows? It could be, and I think that's also the the count against West Ham and Birmingham and any other relegated teams to an extent is that a lot of the players that they may be able to get with their parachute payments money are just mercenary rubbish, you know, they'll just get... Pascal Chimbonda. Yeah, you just get agents just chucking players at them because they'll just say there's going to be a big payday here for somebody and they won't necessarily be interested because, let's face it, and nobody cares about Birmingham City, even their own fans to an extent. Probably Jasper Carrot is the only one who has any passing interest. Nobody signs for them and thinks, yes, Birmingham City, this is my team, this is where I want to be, this is where success is coming. Discount them now. West Ham, West Ham is just going to be the... West Ham's just going to be the... uh, the offcuts from every agent's list. Anybody, it's going to be like us when um, Peter Reid signed all those French players on loan, except they'll buy them permanently without seeing them. <laughs> yes, he's got a lot of goals in uh, French Division 2. Cyril Chapuis will be back at West Ham next season. I confidently predict Carton Cole sold to Stoke. Cyril Chapuis up front for West Ham. It's worth mentioning. We're, we're going to walk three, this. Three good away <laughs> days. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blackpool. Final game of the season, bank holiday, Echoes of Bournemouth. <laughs> We're there. That will not happen, will it? No. They won't allow that to happen. It'll be a Monday It'll be Brighton. Night, Monday or Tuesday night in the depths of winter when the illuminations have been turned off. That's the one downside. There are some seaside teams that we won't be trusted to go to when it's sunny. <laughs> so, winter trips. <laughs> Naughty little school boys. <laughs> but drunk ones. Yes. Coming into the championship via the right entrance this time, that's the promotion one. Um, Southampton back up, getting mixed up back in it again. They might be a force to be reckoned with. They've got a bit of cash, haven't they? Peterborough at the expense of <laughs> Huddersfield um, and Brighton under Gus Poyet. I think I think all three of them will probably do all right, actually. No, Peterborough straight back down because Ferguson can't cope with the championship. Sort of pressed and relegated them. They'll relegate Peterborough as well. And he's tried to leave before. He'll try to leave again but when it the starts chairman, going They bang on about being soulmates. And the chairman's Barry Fry, players. isn't it? Yeah. No, he's, I think he's the... Uh, He's the own. Is he the owner or the chair? One of them. It's not Barry yeah. Fry, but his mate. It's the Irish fella. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, even so, Barry Fry is there. So we've got that random element that, <laughs> um, that will prevent success. One thing I didn't like about Peterborough when I watched the the game was that the chairman was in the dressing room trying to be mates with the players. Yeah, you see, it's a bad sign. Heading for trouble. Brighton, wish them well. Take six points off them, please, Gus. New ground. Yeah, and they're serving real ale. And they're putting on uh, light shows in the colours of the away team. Yeah, they're being too friendly. <laughs> but they've also sold 17,000 season tickets, which is um, extraordinary. And a lot more than us. A lot more than us. It's a damn sight cheaper than us and probably they'll see a better standard of football and it's a, a nice new stadium that serves real ale. Well, it's I- be cheaper to get a season ticket down there and drive down there every week <laughs> to see them. Are you offering, like? No. <laughs> Spend a lot of time in Brighton. 
so that's the championship for next season then. Funny how we went into this season with little or no knowledge of football, no, of uh, what to expect from us. Now, you say that the benchmark has been laid down by Ken Bates now, anticipating a push for promotion. Is it a realistic aim based on what we're going to see in the championship next season? It's not. It, it depends what comes in, in, in summer, because at the moment you look at our squad and you think there's no chance. We haven't got any midfielders as it stands. But, you know, a few months' time we might be looking at our shiny new £8 million midfield that we've assembled and all of a sudden we'll be we'll be nailed on for promotion. We've got to look at Johnson and Kilkenny going. It's an opportunity to really freshen it. We could have two fantastic new midfielders in there that could, you know, allow Housen to go and play as a second striker that he was born to be. Um, Snodgrass and Gradle will stay and they'll just dazzle on the wings while we have these fantastic Zavian and Yesta just motoring around the park. Or we could just get a couple of cheap hoofers from uh, Division 3 that we've never heard of and well, the we'll just have new boo boys. The opportunity is there to spend both Kilkenny and Johnson's wages on one really good player, but realistically we'll end up with three not-so-good players to replace them. In the same sort of vein, how do you feel about how this season's gone and how does it leave you feeling about next season? you go into next season with optimism or indifference or pessimism or I feel all right about how this season's gone it went we were probably about as successful as I thought we would be and along the way we did better at some times and worse at other times but it's really given me absolutely no clues as to what's going to happen next it it almost feels like the same as it did after promotion last season where we're just going into a season in the championship with no idea whether we're going to be at the top or the bottom we have such a high churn rate with players that for years now we've not gone into the new season with anything like the same starting 11 I imagine there's at least four or five new players coming into the team each year and with that obviously players are also leaving obviously so it's a completely different team that we that we end up with you look at the way Swansea have done it who've gradually built this side over a few years and gradually tweaked it and evolved their squad and that's the way to do it, isn't it? Gradually re- replace the, the ones that are leaving the, the bottom end of the squad in Worth terms of Worth mentioning as well, they spent a couple of million on Scott Sinclair and sensible investment in key areas on the right players and it pays off sometimes. Hat-trick in the playoff final. Worth two million quid, isn't it? Well, that was the Square Ball podcast for the 2010-2011 season. Do you think we ended on a little bit of a pessimistic note then? Yeah. Or- we support Leeds United. It's difficult to do anything else. Could we add a note of cheer into it before we before we go off for the summer? At least we weren't in the playoffs, because look what happened. <laughs> we would have lost. We, we would have got past Forest. We would. We'd have had to go all the way to Wembley and come back heartbroken. At least we wouldn't have been wearing T-shirts that said Believe on them. No, oh, that was but embarrassing. Nevertheless. That's a positive note. We won't have to face Huddersfield again next season in the league. I was saying I was put that game on and I thought, I wouldn't really mind Huddersfield going on, because I don't, I don't really give a toss about them and... It's a, it's a close game. It's a close yeah. game and everything. Then I saw them all there with the t-shirts on and oh, that's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And then Peter Briscard and I found myself cheering and I thought, mm, maybe I'm not such <laughs> maybe I'm not such a fan of theirs after all. But it's yeah. only because it's probably out of pure pettiness that I know they would have because uh, they hate yeah, us done the yeah, same yeah. for us. Well, that's their problem. They hate us more than they love their own club. On the semi-final second leg, uh, when they were they were winning, I got some texts from a Huddersfield fan I know saying 
we're going to be joining in the championship next season. We're going to six po- easy six points, blah, blah, blah. And then I wasn't even watching the game. I flicked over and it had gone to extra time and then to penalties. And I thought, they were brave words. Just keep your powder dry. <laughs> yeah. Keep your powder dry. And then they got through and then I've not heard a dicky bird from him since. <laughs> which um, I'm going to leave it a couple of days and then go and bombard him with a load of text. Thinks he got away with it. It did actually turn out quite a good end to the season from Leeds United point of view. Huddersfield not going up. I'm yeah. glad... Uh, Swansea went up because thought they were a damn good team. And, they're playing um, all white. Yeah, did you right. And they're playing all white. Yeah. There was a point if you just squinted slightly, it was like watching us in the player final. And obviously Saturday night, the European Cup final, one of the best European Cup finals in living memory with one yeah. of the most uh, enjoyable results and some of the most enjoyable camera work. I will never tire of uh, just rewinding the clip of uh, Alex Ferguson's clenched hands and I just scandal because you knew... There was nothing he could do about what was happening because he'd come up against something. Yeah, he may be the uh, second greatest manager in English football um, that there's, there's been in the last 50 years, but he'd never seen anything like this and he couldn't cope. And neither could Giggs. Out of your control. Look at look at Ryan Giggs out there. Spend all that... Is he playing? <laughs> He's Mr Anonymous. He's not the... Yeah, the, the gentleman of football. Rubbish. Out there, just completely destroyed by something much, much better. And let's face it, Ryan Giggs spends all his career at uh, at Old Trafford and ends up allegedly, can we just say now, grubbing around with Miss Wales. PK spends a couple of seasons at Old Trafford, dicks it off because it's crap, and now he's going out with Shakira. And he's the Euro- he's won the European Cup. I like him, even though he's like slight like bogbrush haircut, but, you know, if Shakira, if Shakira likes it, I like it. So good they named her twice. So yeah, if in doubt, if you're ever feeling pessimistic uh, about Leeds United, just think of Huddersfield and your world will brighten up. I think the worry is that our last decent season in the Championship was followed by some players leaving and us getting relegated. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen this time, but yeah, I, worry, I worry next season, 7th, won't be achievable. We're trying to keep it posy, know, and you're raising the <laughs> spectre of Kevin Blackwell. It's like he's, <laughs> I can see him appear at the window. It's like, so, did somebody call, all right. Do you, do you need a new manager? All right. Relegation? All right. Administration? All right. All right. So we should sign off this season by saying a big thank you for your support with the Squareball magazine and to all the people who sent us chocolate throughout the season. Yeah, we have another person who uh, gave me chocolates at the Burnley game. So apologies for not mentioning it last time, but... It's an age thing. Yeah. <laughs> do we know who it was? Does this person have a name? Uh, it's John in Jersey. Damn fine chocolate. Somehow that chocolate survived until today. Yes. Um, two bars. I don't know how many bars John gave you. It was but two, two, two made two. it here. Definitely two. No, serious. Thank you to everyone who's been really kind yeah. and giving us stuff for this podcast. It's uh, it's made the Monday nights that we've spent in here worrying about Leeds United worthwhile as we pile on pounds. So big thank you for that. And thank you as well for downloading the podcast because we've tallied up our figures and this is the end of our first full season. So if you go back to when we started just after the famous January the 3rd win in 2010, we've now been downloaded about 45, 46,000 times. I feel violated. Which is phenomenal considering we had 200 downloads in the first fortnight, I think, and now it's into thousands. So thank you very, very much for, for supporting what we do here and the fact that you keep downloading it means that we keep doing it. So sorry. If you want us to stop, stop giving stop us listening. the attention, we crave. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stop anytime you like. But yeah, thank you very much for downloading the Squareball podcast throughout this season. We'll return. Don't know where, don't know when. Are we going to do a summer one? Well, we said this last year. And Pre-season-ish. We might we do a, one. We'll do a pre-season one. Not summer, there's no football in summer. Yeah, we'll, there was we'll, a World we'll Cup last year, we were going to talk about that, then it got to it and none of us were asked. 
yeah, but we did do a pre-season one last year, if you remember. Yes, that. we did do a pre-season one and it all it went work, wrong. It, but it was like that first day back at school when you've forgotten how to write and I'm sure we were all just sat here just... I'd completely forgotten that we did one and lost it. The echo it. pod. Yeah, that had, just, yeah. Yeah, that had, <laughs> that had completely slipped my mind. It was rubbish, actually. I'm, I was quite glad it was lost. Yeah, we were all quite relieved. We're, so, yeah, expect to hear us back here in August doing a really rubbish podcast, <laughs> talking about which players we have or haven't signed. So uh, We should record it now, see how accurate it is. Yeah, speculative <laughs> podcast, yeah. Well, if that's it for, for this season, then we will see you Rochdale away, Sheffield Wednesday away, Newcastle at home, one of those, maybe in Benfica. Well, Ken Bates says negotiations with overseas people is very lengthy and frustrating, <laughs> which um, is ironic from uh, somebody who, who runs a club in England from his chateau in Monaco. I, ah. I assume the people at Leeds United can sympathise with, uh, with his point of view. And I guess finally we should just say, if you fancy getting hold of the uh, back issues of the Square Ball magazine, I've uh, got a few paper copies left, but mainly in digital download format for last season. Have a mosey over to the website and we'll be blogging all over the summer. So... Um, Get yourself over to thesquareball.net. Oh, and when you're on the website, make sure you check out the T-shirts that we're going to be uh, getting out there over the summer. Some stylish cotton numbers for the summer holidays, I think, yeah. I think the Visit Beast ones are still relevant, uh, but we are going to follow them up quite soon with some more... Some new designs. Yes, some, some new stuff. The shipment of Bradley Johnson ones have gone in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Lycra Neil Kilkenny crop tops that we had made, probably ourselves. We'll, we'll see if he goes to a new club and we'll send them there. <laughs> So yeah, keep an eye out for the t-shirts. Thanks once again for uh, for buying the magazine and listening to the podcast. Bye until next time. See you later. Bye from Michael Normanton. Goodbye. Moscow White. Goodbye. And Doddy. Goodbye. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. The Square Ball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. Manchester can rave about the summer being best. Then there's Liverpool and Arsenal and Spurs and all the rest. Let us sing the praises of the lads we love the best As Leeds go marching on Glory, glory, Leeds United Glory, glory, Leeds United Glory, glory, Leeds United They're the greatest football team in all the land Now little Billy Bremner is the captain of the crew the sake of Leeds United he would break himself in two his hair is red and fuzzy and his body's black and blue but Leeds go marching on So very long The Intercity's champions Were really going strong And once again at Wembley You will hear us sing this song As Leeds go marching on Shed. Let's hear the voices sing Let's get behind United And make the Raptors ring We've a team we can be proud of And Don Reeve is the king As Leeds go marching on Glory, glory, Leeds United
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 